Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Creative Control with Vish Khanna. Why, hello there. How are you? I am doing just fine. Still kind of recovering from the Hillside Festival in Guelph, Ontario that took place over the weekend. I had a great time. So many highlights. I probably should have written this down before I started talking because I'm going to forget things. But off the top of my head, Bonnie Prince Billy and Don McCarthy, one of the best things I've ever seen. Like five people all surrounded, uh, surrounding one microphone on, on the main stage. You know, I think everyone was like, what is this going to be like? Best thing, best sounding thing, I think, at the whole festival. It wasn't all subwoofery and... You know, the kick drum didn't sound the same as everybody else. It was great. There was, It was amazing. I, I, I can't, I'm contemplating a trip to Louisville, Kentucky to see Bonnie Prince Billy and Don McCarthy again very soon. I don't know. Unbelievable. The Sadies and Shadowy Men on a Shadowy Planet did a workshop where they performed Alice Cooper's Love It to Death in its entirety. They full Alice Cooper makeup. That was incredible. Amazing. Fucked Up put on a great show. Everybody, Lee Ronaldo in the dust. Lee Ronaldo in the Dust Workshop with members of Arcade Fire and, and Colin Stetson. Colin Stetson. I could go on and on. So many highlights. It was a great time. I hope you had fun if you were there. And if not, try to go next year. Hillside's great. Speaking of great festivals, Sappy Fest is coming up this weekend in Sackville, New Brunswick. And uh, to help promote it, I guess, or whatever, I, I thought I would speak to someone who's performing. And it was a great honor to finally get to speak to him. Ian Sphenonius is on this week's show. Let's get to it. Let's let's hear from Ian Svenonius, and I'll tell you more about him in the introduction. He's a legend. He's a legendary person. It was an honor to speak to him. Here it is. Me and Ian Svenonius on this week's show. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario a proud independent family business run by a punk rocker, Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza, the pizza. Personally, I like the gourmet domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio. 
Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca. T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A. That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. ENF Sphenonius is one of underground culture's most provocative singers and thinkers. From leading impassioned Washington, D.C.-based bands like Nation of Ulysses and The Makeup, writing books like The Psychic Soviet, and serving as the host of the revealing interview show Soft Focus, Sphenonius has left an indelible mark on music, influencing the way many people contemplate and consume it. Late last year, Akashic Books published Sphenonius' latest book, a how-to guide called Supernatural Strategies for Making a Rock and Roll Group. And that same year, his band Chain and the Gang released a great album called In Cool Blood, which is available via K Records. Chain and the Gang are performing at Sappy Fest in Sackville, New Brunswick, between August 2nd and 4th. And here now to discuss a good portion of the things I just said is Ian F. Svenonius. Hi, Ian. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for... Uh having me on your show. No, it's a pleasure to have you on my show. You know, I'm a great admirer of yours. Oh, well, thanks. Yeah, Thank yeah. you. So where in the world are you, Ian? I'm in uh, Washington, D.C. Okay, you're, 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 you're at home, you're, you're, you're hanging out at your house, is that what's going on? Yeah, I'm in my bedroom right now, okay. surrounded by detritus, flotsam, <laughs> jetsam, it's all here. <laughs> well, that's great, that's good. It's nice to settle in, because you're you're heading to Sackville, New Brunswick, shortly, and uh, which is is far from your home. Can you can you just first of all talk about why you agreed uh, and became interested in playing Sappy Fest? Which I, I should say, I should preface this by saying, uh, my favorite festival in the world. Oh well, yeah, I've heard about it. It's so it's a legendary. It's a little you know. It's a, I've heard about it, and um, people have uh, you know told me to play it before just last year i was playing at uh maxwell it's actually with blues control mm-hmm. and some uh sappy people were there and they were like oh well you should, you guys should be playing sappy fest you should so uh so when i got the call you know i was so well of course okay i just... felt like i was uh yeah i was uh, you know it was uh, one of those things it's like duty calls your uh, your your colleague Calvin Johnson has performed at Sapifest uh, at least a couple of times now. Did did you speak to him about this at all? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was he's uh, he's he's um, uh, regretful that he can't attend this year. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. He but you know he he had uh, some previous engagement, or I think it's uh, coincides with some other festival out there, maybe. Oh, okay. Um, but anyway, in any case, it's. Um, yeah, I think yeah, he said that he can't he can't do it this year. It's a, yeah, he he's also told me how great it is. Yeah, it, it, um, I'm I'm just another in the chorus of voices telling you that it it, it might actually be great. <laughs> <laughs> it is great. It's cool. I'm, uh, <laughs> there's a, you know, and I know that he's uh, interested in all these you know late, small labels and you know groups from that area, like, you know bands from Moncton, mm-hmm. like '60s bands and stuff. You know that you know there's a there's kind of a there's a you know musical lineage that comes out of that region, I think. Yeah, 
So yeah, so 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 I'm I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, what can you tell me to expect? What what should I expect? Well, I mean, just on a sort of landscape area, you arrive in this very small town in the Maritimes, and uh, they close off basically the downtown street, the main downtown street, and it's just full of a big tent. And all the businesses uh, that uh, are interested in helping out are very supportive. Everyone's very kind and nice, and uh, it's just—it's just a nice atmosphere to see a whole town kind of get behind a festival of basically outsider art. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, so that's I, fantastic. Yeah, I, I know you're in for a good time, and I'm—I'm uh, I'm also. So what? So what's the what's the character of the New Brunswickian? Like, what? Are, what are they? What are like? What are some? you know, cultural tendencies well, the, on the part of these you're, people. You're asking me to potentially insult a whole province of people with my generalizations <laughs> about their characteristics. I I mean, I will... I know, but you're far away. You can do it. You can do it. <laughs> I'm in Ontario, so yeah, it's true. I uh, Well, I would say that in my experience, they are generally very pleasant and sweet and nice. And, uh, you know, they're a little more laid back than maybe some of the, the bigger city, you know, province people uh you know you go there and you you're kind of you're hit with a kind of relaxation about it you you just feel like and, yeah. you know, there's all this hard work going on behind the scenes people are sweating and trying to get stuff done but in my experience it's a fairly like low key event you know here's the thing festival culture what about what about new north new brunswickians yeah see i can't versus the southern new brunswickians no there was no you're trying to create some kind of false civil war (laughs) there was nothing going on there (laughs) that i'm aware of there could be i'm not as familiar with the area as you might think i've been to a lot of the major cities there but i I don't know of any north south divide per se Yeah, yeah 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 okay cool but 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 I just, you know, I just want to be aware of these you know the simmering tensions or lack thereof. Yeah, I you know when you know as an outsider you walk in and you know you could be potentially in a powder keg, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you just you, you know sometimes it's good to sort of understand you know because uh, as you know Americans we're we're a little bit isolate uh, isolated, you know from the, the details of you know the rest of the world we're stuck in our own you know. You were, were, you know, you, you, you know. I do know. You've been to, you've been to the USA. It's, I, I, uh, I have. Yeah. It's uh, our our media keeps us cloistered from the outside world. So sometimes when we venture out into the world, you know, we're like, oh, crazy. <laughs> we didn't realize that there's this whole, you know, this uh, you know, the Sackville Moncton feud. Yeah, I can't. I mean, there might be. There are, like, I know that in Ontario, like, for example, I'm calling you from Guelph, Ontario, and there is supposedly some friction between our town and, say, London, Ontario. But I've never seen this manifested particularly. It could, it feels like it might have been like a college, university kind of rivalry that spilled over into the citizen citizenry, but... But really, no yeah, one yeah. know no one knows why, you know. And I, I imagine yeah. there might be such things in New Brunswick, but I personally am not aware of them. I've traveled freely uh, between all the cities that line New Brunswick, uh, a lot of them, and uh, no one has said, "Oh, you're going to Sackville, bunch of crackers." Like they don't say anything, you know. Like they, I feel like everything's <laughs> fine. <laughs> I think you're okay. <laughs> but but cool, you, cool. you should speak to someone in New Brunswick about this before you leave, just to make sure. But it, people are coming. Yes, yes, that's true. There is some. Well, there you go. There's some mind that's expansion cool. going on. I think sometimes when you're in a small place, 
you want to keep your mind as open and as expansive as possible. So I think that's maybe what has gone on. Okay. Yeah. I want to ask. Well, where's the name Sackville come from? See, you're asking me a lot of questions about Sackville that I don't know the answers to. I'm not a resident of Sackville. I'm a visitor. I've been there many times. Uh, I feel like there is a story behind the name. I can't tell you off the top. Have you heard of the Wikipedia? Maybe this is a job. I don't trust. I don't trust the Wikipedia. I don't. I don't trust any kind of like monolith source for all information. Right. That you know. I you know. I know that suppose supposedly it's. You know, it's written by it's uh, you know uh, the people, but um, but I don't know. In my experience, it's sort of controlled by these like little, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know. It's controlled by a few, you know, sort of. Uh, uh, I don't know. Any, yeah, I agree you with know. you. You can't base anything on Wikipedia. I just throwing that out there as a source. I'm just saying. There's probably ways for you to figure out more about Sackville before you make your trek over there. And I'm just telling you, you're right. You're I, right. you're right now using Vishapedia, and Vishapedia really <clears throat> doesn't know that much about it. And that's just the way it is. I, I'm sorry. I wish I knew. I, I, I go there. Yeah, cool. I've gone there many times, but I just, I don't know. Um, I wanted to ask you about, because you're playing Sappy Fest, festival culture, because it's, festival culture has always been a huge part of. The music business, but over the last decade, it seems to have become a super important part of it. And I'm curious about what your take is on the kind of omnipresent plethora, I suppose, is a word to use, of music festivals these days. Yeah, it's um, I don't know. Yeah, it's festivals. Festivals are you know they are weird because they they they're this um, yeah they're kind of a, a recent. You know, yeah, you know, this uh, institutionalization of these festival events is like it's pretty recent in the USA. I feel like it's more of a European thing. You know, yeah, they've had a lot of festival. They've had this festival culture going on for a long time. Where maybe just Europeans are a little more, uh, you know, they're less individualistic and they're more and they're less comfort driven than the than than you know U- U.S. Americans mm-hmm. at least. Um, so they're more willing to sort of like camp out in a big, you know, field of mud. And and also I think that the, the music was more seen as a, you know, uh, an import. So it sort of all blended together. You know, so in the same way that a reggae festival would happen in the USA, they'd have a rock festival in Denmark. You know, and yeah, the, yeah. the groups were less, the, group, the groups were less singular. It was more like something, oh, like we'll have this, a bunch of that. You know, and that's uh, so. I so I do think festivals are a little strange to me, especially like if you have good, you know, or if you have, you know, particular management, you can kind of get stuck on all the on all these festivals, and there's no indicator of whether people are there to see you or not. You know, you're just sort of part of this. I don't. I don't know. I, I don't know. Do you do you know what I'm saying? I do know like, what you're I saying. I guess at I... this point. There's all these names that are just stuck on the poster, and it's sort of like it's happening. Yeah. And it's not, you know, I, I, I guess I, I do like to create, uh, an env- you know, an environment, a context for a group that isn't, you know, um, you know, like a context of a singular night. But festivals can be really great because they can, they can um, encourage. You know, sometimes you, you know, it you put out your best in the, you know, because you, you know, you're in this, you know, a special 
environment. It's a, a sense of event, you know. Oh, the, you know, this where we're at the special event, and I, I don't know. Does that make any sense? It does. There's a flip side to both. <laughs> there's a flip side to it, I think, because on one hand, uh, a festival for a band for an artist. It's like almost it can be a similar experience to playing your first ever show because you're playing before an audience that isn't necessarily there to see you, and uh, and that's probably kind of uh, energizing. On the other side, and you know, Will Oldham and I, Will was just on this program a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about this, and I, he has a lot of misgivings about festival culture and about what it's really trying to accomplish in terms of uh, empowering music and music lovers. He doesn't think they're for music lovers, and when I suggested to him. That it was essentially the, the, it's like the difference between ordering at a buffet and ordering from the menu. He kind of appreciated that. He ran with that. And he's like, yeah, festivals are like a buffet, and buffets always make you sick. <laughs> yeah, I think, um, but you know, you know, I've been to, to some fantastic festivals, like, you know, like the International Top Underground Festival. That was really, you know, an amazing you know, uh, event and, you know, you know, people talk about like, there's a lot of festivals that are very like, uh, you know, they're considered pivotal in the development of pop, pop music or, you know, kind of in, you know, the, like you think about Monterey, Monterey is obviously like a big deal, you know, that kind of like switches, you know, the sixties from the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Fox theater review type thing mm-hmm. with like, Oh, there's going to be 50 soul groups on this one bill. And, and then you know Monterey is like this. Oh well, now you know it's it's a it was a different you know kind of idea you know world music and seriousness and so you can you know you can decide for yourself well well was that a good thing or a bad thing but it definitely is you know it's seen historically as a watershed you know thing so they so these festivals can yeah you know, they 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 can be really uh. They can be, I don't know, you know I, I think, or 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 these old uh, Newport jazz festivals, you know, the one that ended in a, you know, a massive riot. Yeah. Um, you know, like the, those things. You know, they 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 are these kind of, uh, you know, uh, you know, maybe they're uh, maybe they're important as kind of you know markers, you know. Sure. Um, sure. You know, to kind of cre- to figure out where you know what's happening in you know in the, the music culture because especially now with you know the internet it's like it's pretty confusing to to figure out what the narrative in music is you know yeah but it, it, it seems so it's so a, simple it's a curatorially based narrative like it's it, it's a it's a narrative based around some particular person or organization sort of feeling about what's happening yeah yeah or what's marketable or what's viable yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I, I guess the the festival thing. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I guess you just have to take it. You know, it, it's a, uh, it's a case by case thing. Cause yeah. I, I definitely think festivals can be fun. No, I do they too. Can be fun. I do too. I go to them, and I, but I, but I also like ordering off the menu before. Like when people are like tell me to go to a restaurant, I prefer the menu. It's, it's a weird thing. I prefer. The I almost always prefer the experience in 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 a context that is comfortable and doesn't feel like a, a parade is being presented before me, you know. And, and but at the same time, there are festivals that can to sort of operate within that structure, but make it amazing, like make it like an expi- like Sappy Fest is an example. There's a festival where I live in Guelph called Hillside, 
Sled Island in Calgary. There's some great festivals. Don't get me wrong. I, I like them uh, for the most part. But yeah. I, I do find that there's a bit of a knot. It's a complicated... I sometimes have a complicated relationship. Like you, you, guys, you just played Coachella with the makeup. And I look at Coachella, yeah. and it seems to just... It looms large. And I always look at it, and I contemplate going... But it seems daunting to me. You know, it's obviously pretty far away. It's another country. But when I think, yeah. But when I think about the crush of people and and what it's like, I mean, why don't you just? How, how is the experience of playing Coachella with the makeup for you? Well, it was um, it was pretty exciting because um, just because we happened to, um, you know, I I felt like there's so little spontaneity there. There's so little. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it was absurd that we were playing, and it was uh, total. It felt bizarre and and ridiculous. But um, why but is that? Actually, why playing did it was so. Oh, because we're not really, you know, a band anymore, oh. and we're playing this um, bizarre festival that wasn't really. Um, you know, the audience was not. Yeah, I don't know if anybody there buys a ticket based on. I think all the tickets are sold before the lineups announced, you know? Yeah. So yeah. essentially you're playing for a random sampling of like people, you know? And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if anybody there even knew, knew who we were, you know? So we're appearing as the, you know, former legends, but, you know, to, to a bunch of, um, you know, the children of celebrities or something. <laughs> so it's weird. But the good thing, you know, but it felt good because we we played really well and it was really, you know, and it was exciting. And in that, that context where everybody's playing with a, with the um, the sequencer, you know, like a group like Phoenix is playing with their sequencers. And, they, you know, they're, 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 they're kind of like, they, they're, they're so... Un, you know, there's nothing spontaneous about them. There's nothing exciting. There's nothing. You know, they I they might as well have been lip syncing hmm. their performance. You know, and there and you get a lot of that at that kind of festival. So to play in a group like you know the makeup, which is all about spontaneity and which is about you know this kind of interaction, I think it was really kind of a you know um you know maybe I think we might have you know kind of you know been a revelation to a lot of people who saw us you know it was very you know we were very we don't play festivals we're not we're you know we're, we barely exist as a group so it's a very like it it feels fragile and tenuous and you know so to put that in that you know in the in that context you know i mean you know i was walking all over the audience and you know since then now i now i now i hear that you know oh nick cave is now walking on the audience you know so i think that it was a it was a, you know, it was it was a thing that people saw and they were like, oh, whoa! Hmm. It was it felt fresh. To use to use an overused term, our performance was fresh. You used an unfresh term to to describe. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that's yeah. It, it felt fresh, and that's ironic because the group isn't fresh. The group's been broken up for, you know, eleven years. Was that a one-off? Is that it? Is that all that uh, there will be? Well, we, we, we did uh, Ultimars parties last year, and that was kind of the, you know, Barry's an old friend of ours, and he asked us to play the first Ultimars party, so then he asked us to do it, and, and you know, it was something we'd never considered, but we were like, oh, well, that, that could be fun. And, 
and we we played all tomorrow's parties and it was okay we were okay but but then you know then since we had the machine you know the 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 machine was lubricated by then so mm-hmm. then we we agreed to do this other thing our friend you know like Ian McKay was doing it with the Evens and Brendan was doing it with his band so Death with his band yeah. Death Fix yeah. yeah so 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 we were like yeah that, that that'll be fun it'll be a little party in Palm Springs. Yeah, to be and, honest, uh, when I saw the lineup and saw like, you know, I'm I'm kind of a, a I'm a fan, perhaps a student of sort of Washington DC band. So when I saw some of the people playing Coachella this year, I thought maybe it was one of those prank sites, you know, sometimes Coachella prank sites emerge where people make fake lineups. I thought so too. I I, I definitely <laughs> thought it was a prank. <laughs> well, no, it's it's So I, mean, I got there and then I was like, "Oh, it is a prank." <laughs> What about- yeah, I mean that that thing. It's a very it's very surreal. It really feels like you know, pretty apocalyptic. Have you ever seen the movie um, Z- uh, Zardoz? Uh, no, I haven't actually seen Zardoz. People tell me I should see that. What, what is oh, yeah, what's, what's the connection there? I, I don't know. It's just if you see the film, you'll know what I mean. <laughs> Coachella okay. feels a little like. Zardoz. I haven't been to Coachella either, so I'm going to have to do both of those things at the same time. Maybe I'll set up a screening of Zardos the next time I go to the first time I go to Coachella, and then people will be like, "What is what is what is going on?" Uh, <laughs> the the phenomenon of bands reuniting. Uh, I thought you might be you might have some thoughts about this because it's been happening a lot more, particularly bands of uh, an era of about twenty odd years ago now, and people are kind of feeling the. It's just common now. You, I'm not surprised by anyone getting together, yeah, and putting their band back together from your. Well, I I think that I felt you know the same way that you know a lot of people feel, which is that it's like in poor taste and it's like, and it's you know absurd and that the groups have to exist in their context and that the and that that you know it's sacrilegious for these groups to get back together. But you know I've been seeing bands get back together forever, you know. In the 80s, I saw the Pagans and hmm. the Dead Boys and the Buzzcocks, who have been together ever since. But, um, you know, so it's it's actually not, like, a new thing. You know, that people see it as a new thing because it's, you know, it's um, this music is, is getting more and more historicized. So, the, you know, so now if Young Marble Giants get back together, it's like, oh, Young Marble Giants. Uh, but you know, when I saw the Pagans get back together, they only played for fifty people, so hmm. it wasn't a it wasn't a big it was it wasn't a big deal. They didn't have the uh, you know they, they it's just that the music is so much more kind of passively popular, you know that it seems like a bigger deal now. I don't I don't think there's anything new about it. But what? you know, when I saw the Gorys reunion, I realized that oh, this is a viable thing that it it's it doesn't matter if the songs are older the band is older older than they were you know is it what what matters is that the way they play and you know and and that there that there isn't really you know you see somebody like Iggy Pop or Al Green and you know they're still playing the songs that they did in 1971 and nobody wants them to not you know people people aren't don't find that scandalous so what is it about this this form you know, the group form where it's like, oh, well, these particular people made this song, you know. It's like, why why is that somehow, you know, out of bounds, you know, when, when somebody like, you know, Iggy Pop is playing I Want to Be Your Dog and 
I think it's that's not it's, a problem. It's not. I don't, I don't even find it personally problematic because in a lot of cases, some of my favorite bands are doing it, and I'm going to see them. And and you know, with age and wisdom, they might they might potentially have be a little better. Yeah. Yeah. No. I I I agree with that. Or you know, yeah. They they. I maybe even maybe better isn't even the 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 best word for it, but there is a, more of a sense of you know what what they're doing. You know, maybe maybe sort of like his, history has coalesced. The you know the 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 thing that they were working on has now sort of like can be seen you know in a kind of more crystallized way. It's less like you know it's less. It's less uh, battered by its uh, environment or its context, you know. You know, it's um, and uh, yeah, and so they, t- they, you know, the the person, uh, you know, of the future can, you know, take the crystallized, you know, the, this, you know, thing, which you know, historically, you see something historically, and it seems like, oh, it's so, you know, it's so distinct because we live in a context that couldn't create that thing anymore you know but when if if you went back in time you'd 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 probably be like aware of all the things that were informing you know informing it it wouldn't seem as distinct does that make any sense it totally does and it leads nicely into what i wanted to talk about next but before we get into sort of the history aspect of uh, of the conversation (laughs) because we're going to have to talk about history at some point that's how conversations work but uh no i i do i do think it's interesting because we were talking about the business of festivals and then this business of band reunions. And I find it interesting how, you know, inextricably linked they are. Some of these festivals will, will you know, some of their headliners are bands that are reuniting. And I feel like that's, when you talk about kind of the monetization of music and how festivals are kind of, you know, involved in that. And then obviously the underlying factor for some of the bands that are reuniting is they might be getting a bit more money than they did back then, or maybe they need money now as members. So I guess what I'm saying is, I think there's a link between some of these band reunions and these festivals that are bringing them, you know, all tomorrow's parties or whoever are saying, hey, can you play this thing? I know you're not even active. And I I find that to be a curious link as well. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, part of it's that uh, you know, you know, older people. You know, you, you, I guess that's the, that's the thing that 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 I guess that's the suspect aspect of the festival is that it's like it's you know they're trying to appeal to uh, this enormous or you know a wider demographic of you know people with you know, more money, and uh, so a lot of those people are older. So a lot of the reunions are probably geared toward an older audience who are want to see something you know yeah that's older yeah, yeah. so i guess i i guess that, that's that's an aspect of it that makes people leery and you know that for for good reason because it's like we want rock and roll to be a vital thing that's uh, constantly regenerating that's, you know always new but you know the thing about rock and roll is it's uh it's always been kind of a revival it's you know it's or or you know or at least the you know our our concept of rock and roll, hmm. you know, which is from you know, really from you know the fifties, I mean, or the sorry the sixties, you know, the 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 whole kind of middle class version of rock and roll, which come you know the British invasion, hmm. uh, kind of you know thing, has always been like a revival. You know, the Rolling Stones were revi- re- revivalists of blues music. You know, and and uh, and all you know the blues covers that they were doing for you know. 
were often decades old, you know, mm-hmm. and there was this kind of a, you know, and, and, and that came out of this authenticity obsession of the folk movement, which was very archaeological, and it was always, you know, looking for authentic expression in the face of kind of, you know, you know, what was commodity culture and commercialism and, and you know, the new, you know, this kind of consume, consumer culture that had sprung up in the post-war. So, you know, folk, folk music is this reaction to that, you know, and uh, and it's also a kind of, you know, it's a crypto-political movement as well, you know. It was mm-hmm. kind of like guising socialism, which had been eradicated by the FBI and everything, you know. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. It's kind of like taking these socialistic ideas and Kind of, you know, disguising them as a music movement almost. Right. So, I, and I think a lot of what we have in rock and roll comes really directly out of the folk movement. It's not out of rock and roll. Rock and roll is never concerned with authenticity in the same way as folk. You know, so all these ideas of like what's selling out, what is selling out, what's a what's acceptable behavior for a group. These things, a lot of these things come out of the folk thing. You know, and the folk. You know, the the folk thing was about, like, well, what's, uh, you know, authentic expression as opposed to, you know, the com- you know commercial stuff. And, you know, and I think that's the big push-pull in rock and roll is, like, oh, that we love garbage, you know, and a lot of what we love, you know, about, you know, our favorite things from from classical rock and roll and from now are, you know, are really just garbage. But then, you know, I, and then, but then we also have this inherited sense of, like, right and wrong, which comes out of this folk revival huh. thing, you know? Yeah, no, I... You know, I, like, 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 why does rock and, why is rock and roll obsessed with selling out, you know? And, and you know, certainly authors aren't obsessed with selling out. Hmm. And uh, filmmakers aren't obsessed with selling out. Actors and, uh, you know, pe- people like that don't have those same concerns. And, and that's because they didn't have something like the folk folk movement that informed so much of the aesthetics you know yeah that's that's very interesting i hadn't thought of it that way i mean you're in in music you're it's still a performance it's funny how how much uh credence we give authenticity when someone is you know it's still a a theatrical experience music in in so many ways yeah it's it's and 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 you know and and it's it's not only theatrical but it's like the one of the you know the basic tenets is redefinition of self, you know, little yeah. Richard, like, you know, you know, be, be a drag queen and, and take a fake name or, you know, Johnny Rotten, you know, this whole idea of like reinventing yourself. And then, you know, but then, you know, against this idea of, you know, what's authentic and, you know, the whole roots 
obsession or folk revival thing in music even now, you know, which is, you know, oh, what's what's real, you know, and that, that obviously, like, spills into everything, every aesthetic aspect of rock and roll, everybody's obsessed with, you know, well, is a synthesizer a legitimate noise, you know? Yeah. It takes 20 years for people to come to terms with the idea of a drum machine, you know? <laughs> Well, because we, I think we all divine, define ourselves by reality, right? And, and, and some sort of authentic experience. So I think that's why there's a, as you say, I think you accurately kind of termed it a push and pull because we, we have come to a point where I think the orthodoxy involving authenticity has evolved as we have evolved and sort of become more accepting of, of things. And change, I guess, is part of it as well. Well, I don't know if evolution is really a good you know, I think that the idea that in art, everybody wants there to be this kind of like idea of progress or this idea of like, you know, that, there, that there's this idea of evolution. But I think that is another push and pull where it's like, it's just, it's transforming. It's not necessarily evolving. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Or maybe, but, but I guess I, I feel like the term evolution always has this kind of like positive connotation, like that we're evolving into a better thing or that the, there's a kind of a, you know, an incline, you know, that we're going up. But I, you know, but if you look at like rock and roll, for example, like a lot of the obsession in rock and roll is with this golden age. Well, why, why can't things be the way they were, you know? And then there's an idea, oh, well, it's been perverted. The thing, this thing that we're involved in has been perverted. How do we get back to, back to Eden, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. so, so at the same time, there a lot of rock and roll is based on the time. You know, and like you see all the classic rock people from the 80s are talking about like the golden era, you know, like uh, R.O.C.K. in the USA by Brian Adams or John Cougar Mellencamp. Huey Lewis. Or, no, that's John Cougar. Yeah, he's talking about the radio in the old days and like, you know, or Boys of Summer, whatever, you know, 69. What's that song? So, <laughs> you mentioned Don Henley and Brian Adams and you're just, or you sort of yeah. have, yeah. So Don Henley, Don, Don, Don Henley, yeah, yeah, Don, Don, Henley, Don Boys Henley, of Boys of Summer, and then Brian Adams says the summer of '69. That's right. Summer '69, yeah. So anyway, so this these or night moves the Bob Seger, you know. So there's always this idea of like, oh well, you know, and that's kind of, um, and that you know, that's something that you see in a lot of art, uh, you know, like Fellini, you know, uh, Cinema Paradiso yeah. or Fellini talking about his youth all the time. You know, it's like that's a classic you know, moment for the artist to be nostalgic about their youth. But, well, this... but with rock and roll, with rock and roll, it, it's, it's almost immediate, almost immediately. Like it's talking about like the, you know, with the good old, the good old days, you know? Yeah. And you, I think have an interesting relationship with the good old days. There's a recent chain in the gang song called certain types of trash, which kind of itemizes objects. We just don't see anymore. And, you know, you're a student of cultural history. You've been talking about it kind of slightly abstractly and objectively over the last little while. I mean, during our conversation. But what is your personal relationship with nostalgia like? Well, you know, I think all of us, you know, I you know, I guess it's like any drug, you know. And music is it's just another drug. It's something that gives you this high and you're always trying to, like, re you're always trying to like, you know, approximate that initial, you know, high, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I think music is, it's very much like an, you know, it's like a narcotic, you know, it's like, it's, it's, uh, 
it's you know it's the one that 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 um you can i mean it's just uh so I think that you know everybody has that that relationship with with the you know with the music if if you like music and a lot of people don't like music they just think they have to or that you know that or that it's some kind of social thing which is also fine that's another purpose that it serves but sure. you know if you if you really love the sensual thrill of music then you know yeah there's all there's this kind of like you know it's a you you discover it and it's ah it's so magical and then how do you you know, and then you're always trying to approximate this thrill with new, uh, you know, new information or something. So uh, I guess nostalgia, I don't know, you know, in my book I talk about nostalgia as a political tool and that a group, you know, is trying to fight the other nostalgia strains. Yeah. You know, that are being used to manipulate society. So, like, for example, dissent, political dissent in, in the USA is always marginalized using nostalgia they talk about oh well that's like 60s throwback like they you know in my my entire lifetime it's like protest has been marginalized with the use of nostalgia huh. you know because because oh well you're a 60 you're you're you want to be like a 60s person but you know protest is a age-old you know thing it's not it's not from it wasn't patented by the, it wasn't invented in the 60s and it wasn't you know it's not particular to the 60s, but the political establishment has successfully marginalized political dissent as some kind of throwback, you know, nostalgia thing. And similarly, nostalgia has been used to militarize the country. Like there's been tons of kind of nostalgia in the USA for the 40s and for the war against fascism and how that was so great that we all banded together as a culture and we should do that now. And, you know, and that's the way. So now there's this kind of institutionalized military worship in our country. It's like you have to love the soldiers and you have to love the military and everything. You have to defer. You you always defer to this military industrial machine because it's like, well, they're 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 pure and they're outside of politics and that's mm-hmm. that's very nostalgic, you know, because it's based on the idea of duty for your nation, which is a, a, a concept that is completely out of touch with what the USA is, which is a, essentially a work camp. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't think when you see an American flag on somebody's car, that, you know, it's just, I, I just don't believe it. I don't believe their, their, that their sense of patriotism is being like loving one's countrymen. Do you know what I mean? Well, you've always, I've been someone, I think, who's tried to work within a, a country to, to try to fix it, to try and make it better uh, as best you can, but... You you clearly, I mean, over the history of your your sort of public life, you have criticized and and well, yeah, you've basically you've criticized this country, and and you know that because I think at the end of the day, you think it could be better. Uh, you you feel like there's hope for it. Uh, at least over time, you've expressed that. I think. Do you actually have hope for America? Not really, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. Well, Not... it's getting it's just getting worse and worse. You know, they just like hone the machine, you know, more and more. And you know, Obama is a great example of that. You know, he's like a great complacency machine. You know, he's just like he uses the platitudes of the civil rights movement. Yeah. You know, well, well, he continues all the war. You know, all the foreign wars and. 
continues the level of, you know, this kind of corporate consolidation and, you know, a transference of wealth from one class to another. So you don't have a, you, I, you know, I just don't see, I, I, I don't, I see the places like, like being like, like profoundly undemocratic. Hmm. So I think that, uh, well, do you, do you feel I, like you're still fighting? Like, do you feel compelled to, to fight and point these things? Like well, by pointing some of these things out, you're, you're contributing to a conversation and potentially contributing to a discussion about these things. But at the end of that, what what is there really at this point? I mean, we I feel like... I, well, I don't know. I mean, that's yeah. why people are talking about politics are so boring, because it's like, well, <laughs> you know, I just, uh, I just like to, um, you know, I think that sometimes when you hear people talking um, about things, that, and they're breaking from the... Uh, the, the you know when they're breaking you know ranks with the kind of like you know you know this you know the official line sometimes it's just it's refreshing so you know I I just you know I I just that's you know that, I guess that that's just my impetus yeah yeah you, you know I I was, so much of the we were I was I referenced your song certain types of trash we've talked a little bit about history so much of the kind of discussion about the collapse of the music industry was sort of uh, pointing to the greed and the commerce of the music industry as as being at fault and it was you know it kind of got what it's got what it deserved but how much of that collapse do you think had something to do with with just a a rejection of artifacts of, of actual physical tangible goods well i i actually think that um that that's you know I mean like you know the new overlords as we were seeing with the NSA spying thing you know this this computer this kind of cyber these cyber people <laughs> and they sell a lot of computers you know and the Silicon Valley people these Anne Randists who yeah. live you know who work in Silicon Valley and uh, and they uh, they have a lot of you know they have these consumer goods that are contingent on free content, you know, the appeal of a computer is largely based on the ability to have whatever you want for free, you know, Mm -hmm. whether it be music, film, etc. And um, so, you know, it's easy for them to start, you know, to, oh, like, oh, those scumbag music industry people uh they're so corrupt uh but you know they run itunes you know what's itunes itunes is just the ultimate music you know machine and they don't even offer you an artifact right they just give you some information that's free for them and they just rake in the millions so i think that uh there's a big movement in media right now to characterize people who own things as hoarders and that we're, we're, we're encouraged to live in a world with like no physical, you know, object. You're supposed to live in a room with your, you know, box of condoms and an iPad, you know, <laughs> and that's it because anything else is like kind of scummy. You know, there's a TV show in America called uh, hoarders. And yeah, it's, like, yeah. it's, it's here basically too. basically saying like, if you have things, you're disgusting. You're just some kind of disgusting poor person you know mm-hmm. and uh 
So having things now like a vestige of like not only you know poverty, which mean, which translates into sexually undesirable, right? Right. So um, so uh, but let's think about like when you know things are really important. You know, having things, things are the only thing. Thing, things are the thing that <laughs> refutes the official version of history. Like if I go record shopping and I find some weird 45s that I've never heard of and I can listen to them, I'm like, oh, yeah, this is an alternate history to the one that proposes that, you know, the Beach Boys and the Beatles, you know, are the only thing that was, you know, or whatever, you know, yeah, the official yeah. history line. I mean, I love the Beach Boys and the Beatles. Don't get me wrong. But I'm I'm just saying, like, this is just an example. Like, you know, you find a bunch of 45s, you realize, oh, there were thousands and thousands of people making great music, you know, and it, it, it you know, that, that, that's just one example. So that, that's just one example of an artifact which can, you know, that, that who, the, the existence of which is actually telling a story that might be completely forgotten or buried, you know, possibly purposefully for the, you know, uh, you know, I, I think that uh, artifacts are important and having things is important, you know. Yeah, you're kind of citing, so, you're, so, you're, you're kind of almost right now, citing them as evidence almost. They're exactly, they're evidence of resistance against the, you know, the, it's like the, the you know, cultural you know, the monolith or whatever, the central, you know, the official story or whatever, you know, and that's, huh. what, that's what people like us are doing. You know, we're making things that are, you know, so in the future when they say, like, oh, Beyonce was the only person who was, you know, or Beyonce was, oh, well, the 2000s were all, all about Beyonce, yeah. you know, and then maybe, oh, and then somebody finds some weird record. It's like, oh, well, you know, there there were actually other ideas happening simultaneously. Right. No, that's a very that's a great but but but, but in but in the computer age, you know, that those things can easily be eradicated or or you know, it's just it's just uh it's just you know, people think that all the information is on the computer. Well it's it's not. Right. Right. No, it's a great you know? it's a and great point. I think that uh and you know, we're not right now with the Google books and all this stuff, I mean that's really nefarious actually. You know, it's 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 truly sinister. Hmm. This idea that we're gonna get rid of libraries and just have all the books on the computer i mean that's like because it's it's not only the content it's also the way things look or you know do you know what i mean like yeah yeah design yeah design is important you know people i think in you know in punk rock there was always this idea that like oh well you they that person just dresses like that but they don't listen to the music so there's an idea of authenticity whereas where the fashion was the was the fashion was the fashion, but the music was the real thing. But really, the fashion is equal, or maybe more important than the you know than the thing, hmm. than the music. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do, and and I feel like yeah, making sense. Like, like it's like it, it, aesthetics. You know, take all different forms and shapes. It's not just you know. There's not just a site. You know, like a forty-five record from, you know, 1961 isn't just the music, it's also the way it looks, you know. Right, right. And then the aesthetic of someone, you know, obtaining that may also represent or may also reflect some kind of aesthetic choice as well. Like, 
if someone looks a certain way, that also can, is, is kind of a cultural marker. Yes. Right. Precisely. In your uh, latest book, Supernatural Strategies for Making a Rock and Roll Group, you, you offer to help young people with the ins and outs of, of, of the music industry, and you, you actually held seances with dead rock stars like Brian Jones of the Rolling Stones and, and Mary Wells, and yeah. you, you want to get their take on things. Uh, I guess, first off, what inspired that idea? And, and secondly, who was the most awkward seance interview? Well, what inspired it was all these rock schools where people are, like, teaching kids how to play rock and roll. So what, 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 what struck me about that was, like, oh, inter- this is interesting that, like, once upon a time, this form was actively discouraged and characterized as, like, delinquency. And now it's being actively encouraged by the parent culture who are really afraid that rock and roll is going to disappear. It's so important to the culture at large. The stories that it tells are so important to the culture at large that it's been institutionalized in the school system, you know, and or this rock camp system. I'm not saying rock camp is bad because I, I think it's probably, a, you know, great yeah. For the people involved, or involved, but what it made me think about was like, well, what are what are what's being told to these kids? Because I I feel like they're getting all this practical knowledge that people my age, people you know, when I was a kid, nobody had any practical knowledge about rock and roll. Like nobody knew how to. I mean, it took us a decade to learn how to figure out how to write a song that was co- coherent. You know, <laughs> so so I think that uh, that it's really interesting that you have all these kids who are being kind of like taught. But, you know, I was a little concerned, well, what about, what's the ideology that's being taught? Because to me, rock and roll is like, is, you know, it's at once it's a delightful thing that I've dedicated my life to, but it's also something that's been used politically and socially in a lot of different ways. So I wanted to make a book about it and uh, talk to young people about making a rock and roll, or, or older people. Sure. And... um Anybody, you know, all the cultural workers or would-be cultural workers. So um, so anyway, but then I felt like, well, who am I to tell people what to do? Because I, I haven't had a lot of success. You know, I've never charted. I've never been on David Letterman or, you know, anything like that. So it's sort of like, well, who who am I to tell people what to do? Right. So I felt like, well, who is someone that everybody trusts? Well, there's these dead people who... Everybody universally respects people like Mary Wells and Buddy Holly and, you know, people that we are now have a very benevolent attitude toward, you know. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And um, so that's why we held the seance, because I didn't feel like I really would have enough, you know, credibility with the larger rock audience. I wanted, I wanted to write a book that was more, you know, that was wide, you know, had a wide appeal. Right. And so I felt like, well, who has the wide appeal? Brian Jones. Shows the wide appeal. <laughs> do you think do you think Brian Jones actually has a wide appeal? He's kinda I, I, I mean, I'm a fan of his period uh, his time in the Rolling Stones, but at this point We're the Rolling Stones. Pardon me? I mean the Rolling Stones. The Rolling Stones have wide appeal. Right. Okay, okay. Yeah, I see your that's point. What I mean. So anyway, so um but as far as who is the most awkward, I mean honestly, you know, everybody was very helpful and at a certain point, they just bandied together and just compiled the information in the book. Uh-huh. And it was um, without particular, you know, individual voices. They just sort of got together as a consortium of dead rockers and kind of, you know, uh, 
and just told it like it was. It's just... So the tone, the, the tone changes a little through the book because obviously, like, different people had, you know, took the reins, you know, more, you know, uh, yeah, different times, but... Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know who was who. Really. Okay. It just it seems to me reading the book that uh, that they often have kind of a, a similar tone and viewpoint that they're trying. I mean, you know, the questions change and the conversations change, but they they seem to you know kind of sound the same somehow. Is that? Yeah, they all have this kind of academic tone. I mean, who knows? Maybe the afterlife is like some graduate school i don't know it does sound like that it does sound like they're all writing thesis papers and that you just caught them at the right time uh while they were deeply immersed in their sort of marxist work and i i think that's interesting yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah it's a great book and i mean it's very informative i encourage everyone to check it out supernatural strategies well, for making you. a rock thank and roll yeah i enjoy it very much so i i wanted to ask you about it um Chain and the gang are playing Sappy Fest as we've this is the premise of this conversation really. Uh what's new? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what's new? It's gone so freewheeling. Uh, <laughs> no, I that, I've But yeah, yeah. So we're playing Chain and the Gang is going to play Sappy Fest and also I'm going to show I'm going to do uh present a film called What is a Group as part of my talk about supernatural strategies for making a rock and roll group. Um so that's on Saturday I'm going to show this film which features Chain in the Gang, and it's a film shot in 16mm, and it's um, it's going to be pretty pretty exciting. It's a world premiere nice. of the film. I showed a rough cut in New York, but uh, this is the actual premiere of the finished film. That's excellent. And is there any other Chain in the Gang news that we should be aware of? Because it's been, uh, I guess, a, a little over mm -hmm. a year since you put out yeah, a record. Yeah, it's been a while since we put out a record. We have a, we have a record coming out. It's... Um, uh, I don't know. It's not going to be an LP, but it's not going to be a 45. Uh, and that's coming out um, at some point. Okay. So, yeah. So keep your, you know, ears open. You know. Yeah, yeah. No. I don't know. <laughs> that's that's a thing to say. Keep your ears open. Keep your eyes open. Keep yeah. your ears open. Whatever it is, that's good. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, once again, a book by Ian F. Svenonius called "Supernatural Strategies for Making a Rock and Roll Group" was recently published by uh, Akashic Books, and you can learn more about it at. Am I saying that right? I, I feel like David Yao and I were just talking about this. Uh, uh, this Akashic. It's right. That's what I thought. I said I know I'm not saying it right. Akashic Books. Thank you very. Why didn't you correct me earlier? That's your job. That's part. Oh, of I don't know. I I think that it's one of those words you can just say it oh, however you want. Okay. Well, you're right. You're probably right. It's Akashic. Akashic. <laughs> I'm all caught up. Akashic. 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 Yeah. I yeah. don't know. I don't know either. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, who knows? I guess we'd have to talk to uh, the people. You know, the people who run it. Yeah. Or a, or a swami. Yeah. It is a k a s h i c books dot com. Uh, yeah. Ch Chain in the gang. <laughs> Chain in the gang. Play the wonderful Sappy Fest taking place August second to fourth. In Sackville, New Brunswick, as you just heard, there will be a film premiere on the Saturday of Sappy, which is great. And the band's latest album is called In Cool Blood. And you can learn more about these things at sappyfest.com and krex.com. Uh, Ian, before we let you go, is there a song from In Cool Blood that I can include right now? Can we can we play a song right now? Well, maybe you should play uh, Certain Kinds of Trash. Are you okay with that? Yeah, that's great. I think the the meaning behind the song might be self-explanatory. Is there anything you want to expand upon before we No, hear? no, it's very it's just straightforward. All right. 
certain kinds of trash, you certain certain things you just don't see. Them. That's right, <laughs> Ian. It's a great great pleasure to speak with you, and uh, I hope you have hey, fun. Hey, thanks so much for calling me, and uh, yeah, take care. I uh, yeah, I hope I see you yeah. someday on the street. Okay, bye. <laughs> Got the trash, you just don't see Thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. 
You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at vishcreative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.